0: the Sports Plus show with Baker, Big D, and Joe. I have a
1: special guest today. Um, Joe, would you go ahead and and introduce? Well, uh, like myself, our guest today gave up what most people would think was a pretty stable career to um, join the world of sports media. Unlike me, she's made the most of her time uh, with some meaningful and pretty brilliant work. Uh, her book is Sidelines, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. Uh, welcome, Julie DeCaro.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on our, our humble little show. Uh, so there's a million things in the news we could talk about. There's a million things in the book we want to talk about, but we've got some, got limited time. The The most disturbing thing recently has been the, the Trevor Bowers situation and the, the way the league has handled it. Um, you want to speak to that a little bit?
2: Well, um, I mean, the allegations are horrific and, yeah. you know, having been a lawyer, I know it's the job of a lawyer to come out and sort of be like, eh, it's not that bad. There's stuff you guys don't know, blah, blah, blah. But reading the actual allegations that were filed under penalty of perjury with a court to get that order of protection, I was shocked. And I mean, I spent, you know, time in domestic violence court and work with sexual assault victims. So Uh, They're really bad. Um, you know, I, I think that there were signs that this kind of thing was maybe in the offing when you see the way that Trevor Bauer treats women online, um, which, you know, I think was pretty disgusting and he has a pretty long history of that. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll say this when it comes to handling, uh, allegations of sexual assault and domestic violence, I think major league baseball gets it more right than any other league.
1: Right. But the
2: bar is pretty low. The Mm -hmm. bar is pretty low. So, I mean, you know, putting him on the exempt list was the right thing to do. But it took, um, you know, fans outcry and everyone screaming and, you know, um, you know, the Dodgers saying he's going to pitch on Sunday and stuff for everyone to start screaming and then for finally to do the right thing. So, you know, all the leagues are just constantly reacting. It's like they don't know what the right thing is. And so they just wait to see how much they can get away with. And, you know, it's it's a horrible way to go about it, especially because so many young people and young men especially get their views on sexual assault and women and domestic violence from pro athletes, sadly.
1: Right. From social media. Yeah, Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. So, I mean, I've had, you know, young guys in my mentions telling me, you know, the text messages prove him innocent and stuff. And I'm like, oh, really? Have you seen the text messages? Because nobody else has seen the text messages. But, you know, I mean, it's just the way that this kind of information spreads. It's just like the people that come to me and tell me that, you know, Kobe Bryant was found innocent and his victim was proved to be a liar. Like, that's not what happened. And but that's become the narrative.
1: Well, and the same thing with Chauncey Billups and the, the narrative is that he was found innocent. In reality, he paid.
2: Uh, he settled.
1: Yeah. And and that always sort of indicates to me that there's something you're trying to keep quiet. And that's uh, settlement to me implies exactly the opposite, that you're guilty.
2: Well, and I mean, you can't go back. 27 years later and say oh we investigated this i mean you know there's a re i mean we have a statute of limitations for a reason even though i don't think we should have it in sexual assault cases but you know people's memories degrade victims disappear i mean victims disappear witnesses disappear you know i mean evidence disappears so for them for the blazers to come out and say we've done our investigation and we've discovered this i mean come on you you guys you know
1: well, they had a great opportunity to hire Becky Hammond and it's looked for a couple of days like it was going to happen. What does she have to do to get to get a job at this point? I mean, she's well, obviously more qualified than most of the new hires.
2: Uh, you know, I thought it was pretty revealing that, you know, this then they leave the Blazers, leaked the story about, oh, people who work with Becky don't like her, um, which I think. Any woman who's worked in a male dominated industry who succeeds and is unapologetic about it is going to have coworkers who talk smack about her. I mean, that's, you know, but the idea that it's, it's more, it's preferable to hire a guy with a possible sexual assault in his history over a woman who, quote unquote, people just don't like working with. I mean, come on.
1: Well, and a guy with one year as an assistant coach in the league, which as I pointed out last week is
3: one year more than I have.
2: And before that, he was playing in the big three. I mean, talk about relevant experience. The
3: big three, yes. Julie, thanks for coming on with us. A follow-up with Becky Hammond. We were kind of talking about this a few weeks ago. How important or is it at all important, the fit for a Becky Hammond or a female to break through as a head coach? And I guess maybe any of the – major sports here. Is Is that important?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that anytime women are sort of normalized being in the sports space, it's huge for all of us because I think What we're fighting against every day are generations of men who have been told that women have no place in sports. And so to to watch someone like Becky Hammond, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, is there anyone we revere more than NBA stars in this country? So to watch NBA stars take direction from a woman, I I think is just huge, not just in the sports world, but, um, you know, just for women in general.
3: Did you? Well, I just wanted to follow up with that. because, And I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe, Julie. Um, and and I, I agree. I think we all agree. Like, she doesn't need a pity interview. Right. Right. And what leverage should she have or, or should she hold out for her best fit for success in the NBA? Or, you know, I guess my worry would be you have coaches that are hired to be fired or those retread coaches who have no business being hired a second, a third, a fourth time for another try at it. Should she hold off for that Spurs job or?
2: Hmm. It's a good question. Um, Well, first of all, I think I sort of worded it wrong when I said pity interview. What I really meant is that we don't need you guys interviewing women just so you can say, oh, guess what? She almost made it. We almost hired her. It's like you don't get brownie points for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hire her or shut up about it. You know, I, I think that she probably is being careful about where she winds up. Um, because, and obviously, you know, I, I don't care what these anonymous people in the Spurs, um, you know, administration said about her than Spurs organization said about her. I mean, she is, she is pops number two and has been for a long time. And I think that should count for a ton in the NBA. I mean, any, if a man was in that position, God, he would have had a million offers by now. So, you know, I think there's that. But I also think whenever there's someone who's the first, you know, you've got to make sure that it's the right fit and that you do it well, because if you get bounced after a year, then suddenly the narrative is, you know, that's here's why women shouldn't be in the NBA. Becky Hammond couldn't hack it. She couldn't hack it as a head coach. And I think that's something that, you know, all the women i I talked to a lot of women in my book who were the first and they were all afraid of that like i'm gonna screw it up and it's gonna ruin it for everyone behind me so I, i think that she probably is being pretty careful about it
1: yeah so so moving to the book the book is 250 pages of stories about how being a woman is a million times more difficult than being a white guy in in this business what do you tell young women who want to break in? I, I know part of you must want to discourage while most of you wants to encourage.
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a hard sort of line to walk. Um, and I do have a lot of young women say, I want, I really wanted to be a sports reporter, but I don't think I could handle all the stuff you guys put up with. So I'm just going to do PR and, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing PR, but we really do need more women's voices and more non-binary voices and more trans voices and more voices of color in, in sports. And so, um, it's weird because I hesitate how much to share with young women because I don't want to scare them off. Like you can survive this. I mean, obviously a lot of us are surviving it. Um, but it's it's hard and I just want them to be prepared I, I don't want anyone to get blindsided and be you know just destroyed by some of this stuff because it really can destroy you um you know I, I spent the last week or the last you know yeah last week trying not to jump out of my skin over a mistake that or I don't you know I don't know if we call it a mistake but over a story that's being criticized um, by people and so it's um, it's just it's a really strange industry for women to exist in. I hope it's getting better. Um, but, you know, we were, just had Megan Rapino on my podcast with Jane McManus. And she right, said, right. you know, I'm doing this for the generation coming behind us. And I was sort of like, my God, how many generations of women have to say that I'm doing this for the ones coming behind me? That's like what we're always saying. Well, that's what um, Melissa
1: Lutke said.
2: Yeah. Numbers. I mean, it's, it's just like maybe a hundred years from now. I mean, Melissa Ludke and, and her generation, they thought they were doing it for my generation and now we're right. doing it for the ones yeah. behind us. And it's, ah, uh, God, it's I, if you had an answer to that, let me know. Cause I struggle with <laughs> it all the time.
1: Well, it's tremendously discouraging. And I, I was a TA at Texas in the journalism department for two years and there were, dozens and dozens of, of young women who wanted to go into sports media. And I think there are two that are even working in sports anymore where, you know, out of the, the couple of hundred boys that went in that direction, probably half of them are have doing something like this, you know, or producing or something. But I think it's, um, even as a photographer, it's, it's a 90% male enterprise,
2: Yeah, which is, you know, one of those things that people ask me all the time, like, how did we get here? And, And I, you know, I really don't know, because it's not like sports have ever just been the province of men. You know, I mean, even back in the 30s, we had Babe Diedrichson and, you know, we've always had women playing sports in this country. My mom used to go to like sports summer camp for eight weeks every summer. And all she did was play volleyball and tennis. And, you know, so this idea that sports are solely the province of men and that women are the interlopers is is really a weird one.
0: Um, Julie, I have a question. So I'm I'm the older of this group. I'm uh, 72. When I was a high school kid women played that basketball where you had to stop at half court. You couldn't go to the other side. Oh, wow. And I mean, so that was like in 1967. And, you know, they said they're, it's too hard. The women aren't up to the running up and down continually
2: i don't know what to say to that i mean this idea that women are somehow i mean yeah maybe we're not physically as strong in terms of upper body strength as men but i i you know i've seen these videos of men trying to survive child labor where they put the electrodes on their stomachs i mean anybody who's had a baby knows that we are not weak we do not need to be coddled like it is you know, women are strong and can, I mean, I I can't believe I'm even saying this in 2021, but here we are. Um, it's, I I don't know what to say about it. I mean, you know, I grew up playing sports with the boys. Um, I, I kept up and beat most of the boys. I was, you know, I was the girl that, and I wasn't even a tomboy. I was just a girl who loved sports and hung out with the boys. Um, a lot of times when they were playing and, and kept up and won and, and felt pretty good about myself physically and athletically. And then suddenly you get to high school and it's like, Oh, you have to play in the girls team. You're not good enough to play with the boys anymore. And it was, um, You know, it was was quite a shock. And I, I think a lot of girls go through that, that you grow up feeling like you are equal playing in the neighborhood with the boys or playing on your teams with boys. And then you get to a certain point and suddenly you're too weak and you have to sit out and everybody go easy on her. And you just sort of don't understand it as a kid, but you accept it because it's what you see around you.
1: Well, I would hope that we're ready for kind of a quantum leap. Like we've got women coaching in the NFL. Presumably Becky Hammond will be hired to be a head coach in the NBA soon. It's you know it's frustrating. You look back at you know Daryl brought that up. It was 1967. I was born in 1971, so it wasn't really that long right. ago. Right, wasn't that
0: long ago? But mm-hmm.
1: I think, it, it, are, do you think how long how long until there's a woman head coach in the well, NFL?
0: Until we take a it. Big, f- that's a big point that Julie makes, which is what was it? Forty years ago, there was Leslie Visser.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now, forty years later, there's instead of one person, there's like three. Five. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've made progress, but not nearly as much as we should have made in 40 years. I mean, and, not what you've and you know,
0: other fields. I'm sorry. Not what women have made in other fields.
2: Exactly right, and I mean, you know, Gail Sirens called an NFL game in what 1987, something like that. It was 30 years later until Beth Moens called another one. Mm. It's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I think some of the issue
3: too. It's it's not who's owning these teams and and there's no age limit as to how old an <laughs> owner can be. Maybe there should be, but I, and I think unfortunately that's part no, of No, The requirement is they have to be old and racist. <laughs> but, right. Cause it, it seems like a lot of people, and even my age, I'm in my thirties and, and we're more open to it, but it's not me making a decision. It's, it's, an eighty-year-old yeah. guy sitting up in the press box making his billions, and 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 I think until that level of sports ownership has that paradigm shift, maybe you know, that's when. And I think, Joe, you're right. The floodgates open. Hopefully. Well, hopefully the Atlanta Dream will be the that that point. point at, mm-hmm. I mean, you are starting to see more former. Athletes become owners, you know, and that could so help push them. Julia,
1: you know, a lot of the book is about how how difficult it is for women to break into sports and how they're pitted against each other. And then we have the uh, Rachel Nichols, uh, mm-hmm. which, Melissa T- Maria, Maria Taylor. Taylor sorry, um, situation, which kind of you know, there's lots to grimace about, but I mean, is that Further justification for for certain groups to say that women don't belong in in the, me, in the media sports media.
2: Well, I mean, there I, I, of, of all the backbiting and, and backstabbing I've seen among women, I've seen way worse among men. So, I mean, yeah. this, this industry in general is just, and people get upset when I say this, but it is a really petty, competitive, aggressive business. I mean, I, you know, came from law and law is competitive, but it's nothing like this. I mean, uh, when I was working for WGM, there was one guy who wouldn't even be on the floor if another guy was on the floor. Like uh, if one host wouldn't be on the floor, if the other host was on the floor, I mean, I was just sort of like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like these are adults, but I mean, it's kind of the way the industry is. And I think that they're, um, You know, if men don't help other men, no one cares, right? Because it's like, you know, there's a million of them. But for women, you know, I think we all have this sense that we all sort of need to stick together and um, lift as you climb and try to all help other women move up and move into the industry. There are women out there who don't do that. And, and I think it's an unfortunate side effect of knowing that there is only going to be one. And, and I think ESPN proved that with "We want to replace Rachel Nichols with Maria Taylor." Why do not you put them both there and get rid of one of the dudes? Yeah. You know, I mean, that was sort yeah, of my first true. at my first thought when I saw that or when I heard that video. Um, why don't you get rid of one of the guys and have two women host the NBA Finals? How about that? So we know that that our options are limited. And I think, you know, everybody wants to be that one person. And the sea change that's taking place, and I think has been for the last five years or so in the industry is a lot more women realizing that there is really enough for all of us. That if, if 10 million white guys can work in this industry, then so can 10 million women. Mm-hmm. And that we need to, you know, we need to form our own tribe of, of women who lift each other up rather than, uh, you know, trying to. And I've had I've had women go behind my back and say things to a programming director and stuff about me hoping to get a leg up and in some cases it's worked and and I think it was just sort of the way women operated in this business for a long time but you know I I feel like that's changing um I think that we are a lot more focused on not just ourselves but everyone else around us and realizing that if we all need to sort of raise the bar together and you know all you know a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing
0: Hmm. Um, Let me ask another old person's question. So (laughs) are things worse than they used to be, or has it always been this vicious?
2: I think that social media makes it worse. And and I was, I I wouldn't have said that. Um, I remember listening to, after Sarah Spain and I did the more than mean video where we had guys read mean tweets to us.
0: By the Uh, way, brilliant.
2: Oh, thanks. Um, You know, I was listening to Christine Brennan and Nancy Armour do a podcast about it. And I was expecting to hear them say, we put up with so much worse. Oh my God, suck it up and and just deal with it. And that's not what they said at all. They said, you know, um, this is so much worse than it was for us because of social media. And I was really surprised to hear them say that. And Melissa Ludke has said the same thing to me. Like, I don't know how you girls do it today with all this social media stuff. So I I think that in some ways that makes it harder. You know, we're more accepted in the locker room. We're more accepted in a lot of spaces, but you know, you got to stay out of your mentions or you drive yourself crazy.
1: Right. And it's got to be difficult because, you know, social media should be a tool for journalists to communicate with their audiences in a, in a more positive, meaningful way. Instead, it's just become this access point for angry idiots.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, the stuff that you get and it's funny because when I when I first wrote about um, online harassment for Sports Illustrated, I reached out to a bunch of women and asked, you know, hey, do you have any screenshots you can send me of really nasty things people have said to you? And every single woman was like, do you want the entire folder or do you just want me to send you a couple? So, I mean, it's it's kind of comforting to know that it's not just you because I think we feel like, oh, this is me because I suck and we internalize it a lot. Um, well, because so,
0: you're getting a notice and acclaim claim. Your book is a great book.
2: Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's helpful for us to talk about it and realize that it, I mean, it happened, I mean in the book, I talked to Kristen Ledlow, who like, who has anything bad to say about Kristen Ledlow? I mean, she's great at her job. She's beautiful. She's, you know, and she gets it just as bad as anyone else. So I don't know what the answer is to it.
0: Is it because people are anonymous?
2: Maybe. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. But I also think that,
0: you know, if you wrote a letter to the editor, you had to put your name on
2: it. Yeah. I I think that we just, there is, it's become more acceptable to just say really horrible things to people and justify it by the fact, you know, like, Oh, well she's, she's terrible. She deserves it. Um, or, you know, like my trolls will constantly explain themselves to people that I'm a hypocrite and they're trying to keep me honest and expose me as the hypocrite that I am to the world. So it's like, they feel like they are the good guys in this and that you are the bad guy and you deserve all of this. And, uh, it's a really weird dynamic. And, you know, there's, there's several pieces of research out there talking about how trolls share, um, uh, characteristics with narcissists, psychopaths, like all these kinds of people that we don't necessarily want to deal with. Um, but here they are online all over the place and they seem to have found each other and organized.
1: Yeah. And there is power in ugly numbers. I thought th- one of the most fascinating chapters in the book was about the, the trip to Pakistan and that opportunity. I mean that, and I thought the the funniest thing about it was when you sort of initially turned down the, the offer to go Mm-hmm. But can you add? Uh- talk a little bit a little bit about that yeah don't
2: don't you get all those weird emails that you're just like oh whatever and you just like (laughs) throw it in the and that's what it was it was this invitation from an organization called women win to go to Pakistan and see how sports are basically changing women's lives in Pakistan and I immediately thought it was some kind of scam or something you know and I I just threw it in my in my garbage and then I was talking to my co-host Maggie Hendricks and she said are you seriously not going to take a free trip to Pakistan And I was like, I don't know, I guess. And then I dug it out and I read it. And I'm so grateful that we had that conversation and that I did, because it was sort of a really life altering experience.
1: Yeah, people don't get to go to Pakistan unless they're being shot at or shooting at other people. So
3: that, yeah, yeah and I
2: mean, it really wasn't anything like that. It's, you know, Karachi and Islamabad are big cosmopolitan cities. Um, there are women walking around in, you know, regular Western dress. There's, you know, not, I didn't have to wear a headscarf when I was there. I never felt unsafe. So it's, um, you know, it's kind of funny to to look back on it and, and just think of what I thought Pakistan was when I was going there compared to what the experience experience turned out to be.
1: Well, I think it's probably similar to the United States in that in the cities that's people are more progressive if you went to to the more rural parts of the country. I'm sure you'd encounter what I did driving out here, which was a whole lot of <laughs> Trump signs.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although not Trump in Pakistan, but yeah, right, right, right. point is well taken. Yeah, I mean, cities are yeah more progressive. And I mean, we ate in great French restaurants and we, you know, the call to prayer every, you know, five times a day. It's just this really eerily beautiful thing that you hear. And it, it just was nothing like what what we've learned about Pakistan from, um, you know, the war on terror.
1: Right. So going back to Maria Taylor, just for one quick second. Jamel Hill as Jamel Hill often does had something brilliant to say and she said that ESPN has this history of collecting black faces, but when those black faces become black voices, it's a problem. And yep. you know, she should know she was driven out just for that. You know, ESPN is the acknowledged leader in all of this, and they again like they have diversity on the screen, but certainly not at the executive levels. I guess I guess this is kind of a loaded question because I know what I want the answer to be. Mm -hmm. How much blame should they shoulder as being the unquestioned king of the sports media market? Every time they slip up, it's amplified.
2: Yeah, and I also think that we give them a little too much credit in terms of you know we turn on TV and we see uh, Ellie Duncan and we see Maria Taylor and we see Carrie Champion and Jamal. You know, so I mean, I think that it gave us sort of a a false sense that women and that people of color have a much stronger voice in ESPN than they actually do. And I know people that have, that have worked there that have said, you know, even like the HR department is very white and very, um, uh, male and they're there to protect the company and not any of the workers. So I think in, in Jane McManus, I mean my podcast partner has had a lot to say about this, about um, the culture that has fostered inside ESPN. And, you know, I think in this industry in general, you're constantly looking over your shoulder um, and constantly worried about who's going to come take your spot. And I think that, you know, in, in, in when you're at the top of the industry and when a culture of sort of stabbing people in the back has been fostered by the company and they encourage it because for some reason and they think that that's how you get the best out of your employees, it's not surprising. That you know, something like this happened. And and you know, I think Jamel is absolutely right. And I've, you know, she's Jamel is often extremely right. And and I've said the same thing about women in sports talk media, and especially in sports talk radio, and that they want women there so they can say there are women, but they don't want to hear what we have to say. So, for example, you know, I was the only woman on my station for a long, long time. And when I laid into Addison Russell, the, the Cubs were extremely upset. And, you know, went to my boss and, you know, and, and um, it was a whole big to do. And I was like, what do you expect me to say? Like, just sit here and act like this is not a big deal. And the Cubs are handling it. They're not. And so, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's like they, they want women um, so they can point to us, but they don't really want to hear what we have to say.
0: They want you as sideline reporters.
2: Yeah, th- that's right. And they want the cool girl who doesn't object to sexism, doesn't object to sexist jokes, you know, like is one of the guys, quote unquote, like those are the girls they want. They they don't want women who are going to rock the boat. And I mean, so much of sports talk radio is driven by sales that, you know, it, there's no editorial wall. There's nobody saying you cannot talk to our on-air talent about their opinions because that's editorial. And this is sales. There's none of that. It's all, you upset this client, you upset this team. Now they're mad at us. And it's sort of like, you know, it's refreshing to be in digital print media or digital media because um, people will say, well, that's not really our problem, you know, which is never something experienced in sports radio.
1: Well, and you're at Deadspin now, and that sort of gives you a little freedom, a little flexibility do you know where you're going to take that personally?
2: I mean, I know I always have a running list of like stories that I'm working on. Um, you know, I think that whenever you're working on, whenever you do have that flexibility, for example, I was just working on a story that I spent God, a month, six weeks working on eight hours a day. And at the last minute, um, the people involved got a lawyer and their lawyer told them not to talk to the media and the whole story was trash so I mean that kind of thing is is more common I think just because you're putting stories out there that really could be groundbreaking but I mean I enjoy it I like being able to say what I want it's the first time I haven't had someone hanging over my shoulder saying don't say that you can't say that that'll upset this person that'll upset this team so um that's really nice and I mean of course I got to do that in the book too so it feels kind of good
1: well, and it's funny investigative journalism used to be the the province of local newspapers and now that mm-hmm. they're all owned by Gannett and dying, it seems to have become the the realm of online outlets and hopefully the economics of it will work out but like you said you can work for months or years on a story that turns into nothing because right. of, you know, one whim decision at the end or one person that doesn't want to talk to you. So yeah, right. the, um, the the mantle's on you now.
2: Yeah. And it, it, I mean, to me, it's, um, it's, it's more fun. It's, you know, than just, I mean, and I do write a lot of columns and just sort of scream my opinion into the void, but I really do like the investigative stuff. It's, you know, that's why I went to journalism school and, um, it's, it's fun. It's, It's almost like a game, you know, to see how much information you can get to see who you can get to talk to you to see it's a challenge, I guess is a better word than a game. Um, and so I find, I mean, I find that to be really interesting and fun and, um, you know, I enjoy it a lot
1: yeah I, I like finding out why things happen finding out who made the weird decision who made the questionable decision and just the 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 act of digging for that yeah it's fun and i'm glad occasionally i can get paid for it but you usually don't get paid for that part of it you only get paid for the results which
2: right is, right you know, right i mean you know, it, for all fun. of us that grew up loving encyclopedia brown i mean this is really encyclopedia brown for grown-ups you get to figure out you know what happens um when there's a mystery and you know and and i there's people reaching out all the time saying like, you know, could you guys write about this or could you guys write about that? And people trusting you with their personal stories. And, you know, a lot of times their personal safety and their, their reputation. Um, and it, it feels good to have that level of trust from people.
1: So as, as a member of the online media, you share the room with some unsavory folks. Uh, this guy right here to my right, <laughs> one a few months ago shared a link from a Barstool sports and I had to,
0: Oh, I
1: don't no. know why this thing. and so well, again see, the, plus he keeps bringing
0: up this eliminate the draft in professional sports <laughs> i'm telling and you yeah. we were like censoring him so he won't talk about it anymore <laughs> but,
1: but you know as disturbing as anything you know in the book about personal stories from women journalists where the the barstool sports chapter and just how a, a cesspool like that can exist and be popular and be accepted.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, Robert Silverman, uh, who writes for the daily beast, I think had it right that he said, you know, to a lot of people, these are just the guys that share funny videos on social media. Um, and a lot of people don't go to the site and a lot of people don't listen to podcasts. So they don't hear the racism and hear the misogyny, um, that certainly has been part of building up barstool. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like there was a point where we could have sort of shut them down and said, you know, we're not going to, you know, visit and frequent sites that that behave this way. But I think the, the cat is sort of, or I guess that's not the right metaphor. I think the horse has left the barn is that right something left the barn um you know i mean they're partnering with teams and they've got partnerships with bauer hockey and they've got a partnership with nascar and the bruins have barstool towels and the extent that they've been embraced by sports in general i think is um upsetting to a lot of women
1: and to some men
2: yeah Yeah. and and hopefully men too
1: (laughs) so you are are you back home in chicago at the moment
2: i am yeah I am. I was Um, was in Minneapolis when the whole Rachel Nichols kerfluffle broke. I was visiting family over the fourth and I look at my phone and I've got like 10,000 messages and mentions and everything else. And I was like, it is never like anything good. It's not like, you know, Oh, you won an award. You know, it's something bad when Twitter has like, you know, when you have like 750 mentions, you're just like, Oh God, what happened?
1: Well, if we can jump over to on the field stuff, um, whether your bears, do they finally have a quarterback?
2: Oh God. I don't Well, Here's the thing you can get, the bears can get a quarterback, but it's, it's what they do with him after they get him that I think we're most concerned about. So I feel great about them drafting Justin Fields. Is he going to be all that he can be going through the bears organization? I have no idea. And I tend to think not, I mean, the, you know, the, we always look at Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and are and like, you know, God, what if we'd picked one of those instead of Mitch Trubisky, but would Patrick Mahomes really be Patrick Mahomes if he went through the bears training program? I don't know. So, you know, It feels like a window is closing. There was a time when they had this great defense and they were pretty good on offense, despite having a young quarterback. And, um, you know, it's, it just feels like that's like, we're not there anymore. So I have no idea where they are and what's going to happen when the season starts.
1: Well, I'm a jet fan. So I understand how the system can (laughs)
2: That's Exactly right.
3: We've (laughs) talked about that before too and especially at the quarterback position so many young quarterbacks are their careers are ruined rather than made by the team they get drafted by but i actually i'm I'm reading i'm big into fantasy football and fantasy sports so i've been kind of following justin fields to see how he can help david montgomery because i've got him on my roster
2: Uh, that would be great I, i actually i think
3: that could work out
2: You know, we keep hearing that Matt Nagy has this, this, you know, really complex system that if you can get it to work is impossible to defend against. And it somehow involves a bunch of tight ends. I mean, we had 10 on the roster at the start of training camp last year and, and a quarterback who can immediately know what he's looking at. And, running backs that you can also use in all kinds of like inventive ways. So we've been hearing this for like four years now, but we've never actually seen it work. I don't think on a single play. So I don't know what's (laughs) going to
0: happen. Has Nagy ever had success anywhere?
2: Well, I mean, he is the guy who put Patrick Mahomes through all his paces for a year in Kansas City and and taught him how to read a defense okay. and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. he's definitely has the history of it. Is he a play caller? Is he a head coach? I don't know about that. I, I think that remains to be seen.
3: Well, I mean, they've been a playoff team with him, so there's hope. There's
2: hope, there's hope but I mean, you know, God, I, I remember the game against the Saints in London in what was that 2019 and we were just like what are we looking at are you serious with the plays he was calling and then he refuses to give up play calling abilities and i'm like at this point i could call better plays and i would just call a handoff every time like it's i mean uh, i don't know yeah, even... do you think
3: there i mean i used to coach football and, and the head coach he was a good guy but his ego would would get in the way of play calling do you think like at the nfl level A a play caller is going to say, look, this play is going to work. I'm brilliant. It should work (laughs) on paper. I'm not going to dummy down my play call because I don't have a quarterback who can make the right read. I'm going to call it anyway.
2: Right. Well, I mean, they they did have to dumb down a lot of the plays because Mitch Trubisky couldn't figure them out. And then uh, we got chase Daniel in there when Trubisky was hurt and you could kind of see how they would work, but chase Daniel just wasn't athletic enough and didn't have the arm to make them work. So it's like, we've never had really the perfect storm. To see, but but you're right. I mean, I think Nagy, in his mind, is a play caller, is an offensive guru, is you know like the next Mike Martz, and is gonna you know like and I feel like self-awareness is lacking a little bit i also feel like when he and ryan pace get together it's like it's just like a dude bro fest of like everything's positive you know And it's, you watch these press conferences with these two guys just slapping each other on the back and you're just like did you watch the same season i just watched i don't feel like you did
1: Well, with Trubisky, you know, he's not the only quarterback that was drafted and thrown into a starting role right away. It used to be every rookie quarterback sat for three years and learned behind the veteran. That just doesn't happen anymore.
2: Does not happen, except for the Bears, who decided, you know, we're going to (laughs) start Mike Glennon for a million years.
3: Or, Or in Green Bay. Right. Yeah.
2: The best story story about drafting Mitch Trubisky was that the Bears had a huge like fundraiser draft night party and they had all these players there. And among them was Mike Glennon, who was sitting at like the head table (laughs) when the huge screen thing came on and said the Bears are drafting Mitch Trubisky. And then for like weeks afterwards, continued to say they told me this is my team. They told me this is my team and we were all just like, okay, buddy. So like, I completely forgot that Andy Dalton is on the bears. Like I keep forgetting about it and I know they're going to make him play for like five games. He's going to be terrible. We're going to wind up like Oh and five and then they're going to put Justin Fields in. And that's my prediction for how this season is going to go.
1: Well, I forget which coach's book I read this in, but he said that you're always better off. Starting the veteran and replacing him with the rookie because that's a positive move. If you start the rookie and five games in, you have to bring in the veteran, then it looks like you're going backwards.
2: Which I feel is like what they're doing with Tua in Miami. Like mm-hmm. let the kid play yeah. and work through his issues. Yeah. So now everyone's like, oh, does Tua suck? No, he doesn't suck. He's just a rookie. Sorry.
3: But you know what? With Tua, I feel like um, it, uh, Robert Flores, right, is the the coach there? Is it Flores? No, uh, Brian Flores. Brian Flores. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like at least he he appeared to have communicated his plan with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua throughout the year, because it didn't Mm -hmm. seem to disrupt the team too much when Tua would play for three quarters and Fitzpatrick would come in for the fourth and they would come back. Like it didn't upset the team. So it it appears that Flores is at least a great communicator to his.
1: Well, Fitzpatrick has been doing that his whole career too, playing two games, sitting for four, playing two games, (laughs) sitting (laughs) for six. Fitzmagic, baby. Yeah. So Julie, um, I oh so
2: Oh no, I was I can I was going to say something funny about Matt Nagy, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it's,
0: well, Julie, it's really nice to see you as a fan. You know, um because I think that's really important and I worry that people don't have loyalties to teams anymore. They just want to follow LeBron.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have two teenage sons who they they cheer in a very different way than I do, because they mm-hmm. came up playing fantasy football and they came up playing Madden. So they really yeah. cheer for, I mean, they have, they, they're they Bears fans, but they cheer for individual players a lot more than they cheer for teams, and that's something that my husband and I have not been able to wrap our minds around. They, my kids, my, my youngest will always be like, do you like this player? Do you like that player? Do you like this guy? And I'm like, no, I don't like him. He doesn't play for my team. Like, I don't care about him. He's just kind of out there. I mean, yeah, I might like him if I have him in fantasy, but outside of that i don't really think about him very much but they do i mean that's sort of the way they process sports is via individual players
1: i think in this respect i'm kind of a 15 year old because i've lived all over the country and it sort of has faded maybe my fervor not my my loyalties are still the same but i don't live and die with the rangers or the yankees like i used to um It's funny, Chicago fans, I I get a lot of crap for being a Jet fan, justifiably. Yeah, I mean, right. You guys know,
0: you guys did something. Uh, Who
1: was it? Oh, Namath. Yeah, 1969. (laughs) Before me, actually. But Chicago teams, you've got a unique situation where, you know, in the 80s and 90s, which were kind of my formative sports years, the Bears and the Bulls were it. And now Mm -hmm. the Bears and the Bulls are both back down with the Jets. Sorry. (sighs)
2: Yeah, it's been rough. Um, The Bulls especially. I mean, we took so much pride in that team. And the fall was just so epic. I mean, of course, they can't have like a... You know, we can't have a dynasty that just kind of reloads, you know, like the Lakers or something. We've got to be, you know, just go from the top (laughs) of the pedestal all the way down to the basement. Um, You know, and it was upsetting to me because my kids like would not wear Bulls stuff to school because they were embarrassed. And I was like that. I mean, for someone who grew up in the 90s watching Michael Jordan, that is just brutal.
1: Yeah, You might have to move.
2: Yeah, that's tough.
1: (laughs) So,
0: Julie, who do you like? college which college teams do you follow
2: uh indiana that's that was my oh. alma
0: mater
2: oh. and so I, I finally got a decent year of iu football for the first time in my life so it was pretty great
0: so you would hate where my uh,
1: son-in-law teaches he's, at, he's
0: purdue. at purdue
2: of course he is <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's easy rivals to be found i i still can't root for any co- i went to texas for grad school anyone that went to oklahoma i <laughs> it with passion of a wait what is it white white hot sun 10,000 white, yeah, 10, white hot suns. 10,000
2: white hot sun yeah
1: we're all missing some metaphors today
2: yeah that's how i feel about purdue it's uh yeah it's just a hellhole. i won't stop in west lafayette when i'm driving to bloomington if i have to go to the bathroom or need a drink or something i wait till i'm on the other side of west lafayette not giving them a dime
0: <laughs> oh i gotta tell my daughter so she she's a big city girl she likes being in university towns but not West Lafayette, but now they're going to, he's going to be at Purdue for a while. So I think they're, they're actually going to buy a house there.
2: Condolences.
3: <laughs> Speaking of the NCAA, one of our favorite organizations here. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: like the NCAA, FIFA, and like the IOC. The oh my God. evil it's, triumvirate.
3: It's like you listen right. to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Should reggie bush get his heisman and his records mm-hmm. reinstated
2: absolutely he should yeah absolutely. absolutely i think i even tweeted out like hashtag free reggie bush yeah. the day the <laughs> nil decision came down it's ridiculous yeah. it's and, unfair I, I the same
3: way he didn't my only i i do take a little bit of pause because at the time you know he didn't take any performance in itching drugs nothing that he did benefited him on the field his talent and his athletic he was so superior than than everyone else on the field that I year. agree
2: yeah um, absolutely and,
3: but the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is just as much as we don't agree with what the rule was it was the rule yeah well wait a minute that's the Shakiri uh Richardson well that that yeah, was yeah. could segue right into that
1: well, actually, I was gonna. If we're gonna talk about rules being rules, if if it's okay, Julie, if we jump to a law topic. Of course. Um, the the rule that was broken was um, the you know a district attorney going a step too far after an agreement was made, and now mm-hmm. as a result, a man who raped sixty women that we know about and probably many, many, many more is now a free man.
2: Yeah. Um, So having been a public defender, prosecutorial misconduct is a topic near and dear to my heart. And I think the real problem with the Bill Cosby case is that we have statutes of limitation on sexual assault. So most of those 60 women that came forward have no legal recourse because it's been too long since it happened. Um, and, And I think that that is not... It's not trauma-informed, it doesn't, those kind of, you know, statute limitations on sexual assault don't um, take into account the way that we process trauma, how long it takes women to sometimes call something rape. Um, so so there's that, that's the real problem. Um, you know, I keep seeing people say he got dismissed, he got out on a technicality. And things like, you know, violating the Fourth Amendment, like not Mirandizing someone, uh, giving someone immunity and then taking it back. Those are not technicalities. Those are, those are giant um, breaches of our justice system and of the constitution, which is the compact we all agree to live by. So I, while I am disgusted that he is out and it was a very triggering day, I think for a lot of sexual assault survivors, including myself, I, I, it was the right thing to do. And, and the, the, the problem lies with the prosecutor and with the system. And that's where I think we need to focus our anger.
1: Well, and on every bad cop show in the world, they get the confession before they actually offer anything <laughs> in return. Right? And it seems like this one happened in reverse. And I, Is that is that as rare as it sounds to an outsider for them to say, tell us what happened, but we won't punish you for any of it, no matter how horrific it is?
2: Well, yeah, it's, it's weird to me to have a prosecutor say, I'll give you immunity so that you can't invoke your Fifth Amendment in the civil trial. So, I mean, that prosecutor had decided we're not going to get a conviction on this. Um, so, you know, the only justice she's going to get is in a civil trial. And I think that's a decision that prosecutors make way too often. Um, I, I, You know, I'm all for letting the jury decide. And I used to do that all the time when I was a public defender. I'd be like, let's just let the jury decide. Um, because I think people can put... And here's a great example. I had a case one time where a guy um, punched another, walked over to another guy's house and he opened the door and he punched him in the face and like knocked him out and caused all kinds of injuries. The, the guy had been told, his daughter had told him right before that, that the guy he punched had been sexually molesting her. Um, but the judge wouldn't let me say that to a jury. So I had to figure out a way to impart that to a jury without actually saying it. And they got it. They got it. I said, so your daughter was upset. She was suicidal. You talked to your daughter after you heard what she had to say, you went over to his house and you immediately punched him. (laughs) And like the jury put it together. And, And I think that we don't have enough trust in juries sometimes.
1: Are there ways that you find your education and training as a, as an attorney useful in sports media?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, especially, well, I I draft every story as if I'm drafting a closing argument, right? So here's my conclusion and here's all the facts to back it up because I I think, women in media do that in general a lot because, you know, we don't feel like we can make a mistake and we always have to be sort of like on the defensive, um, ready to, you know, f- fight people who are like, you're wrong, mm-hmm. you're stupid, you don't know what right. you're talking about. Um, And I think, you know, and also the way I sort of got my foot in the door on radio was because I could talk about the Ray Rice case and I could talk about the Patrick Kane case Um, and a lot of people, you know, didn't have any experience with the criminal justice system and had no idea sort of what was happening and I was able to parse that through people. So, I always tell people getting into sports media today, like don't just study communications. Don't just be like, oh, I'm a sports broadcast major. No, study journalism, study history, study something that you can bring to the table besides just sports broadcasting because those guys are a dime a dozen.
0: Do you see a future for print journalism?
2: God, I hope so. Hmm.
0: I do too. Uh, You know, small town, we had a really great paper here in Northampton, Massachusetts and it's still good and i still subscribe it but it's 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 going bare bones
2: yeah well same with the chicago tribune sadly um i don't know it feels like there's been a real backlash against digital publishing i know a lot of people who are ordering hard copy books these days um like i'm like an analog person i print tons of stuff out if i need to work on it um i i I don't know. I mean, I, 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 God, I I mean, I hope they do. I read everything online too. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, 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 but you know, this weekend I was in Minneapolis and I saw a lot of people walking around with a hard copy of the Star Tribune and pulling it out and reading it. So that gives me hope
1: that does. You've done you've done Jessica Luther's show and her book. We kind of consider that the theme of this show, loving sports when they don't love you back. Right. Are you still struggling with that yourself? You know, every time my, one of my teams brings on a problematic player, yeah. you know, I root for the Yankees. We've had this Chapman on our roster for 6 years. I does it diminish your fandom any?
2: You know, when I got into this business, people told me, you know, eventually you will cease being so wide eyed and amazed with everything and yeah, this will become a job and it, it has I and mean, it has become a job. I still find myself in little moments, joyful little moments of sports, but um, I just I feel a little bit like I've been around the block a couple times, you know, I know. Yeah stuff about teams. I don't want to know. I know stuff about players. I don't mm-hmm. want to know. And a lot of times you feel like you can't say it to people cause you don't want to ruin it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I actually, I think that's probably why I'm watching a lot more women's sports these days mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't feel that way when I watch women's sports, I just feel triumph. Um, so it's, it's somewhat, I guess is the answer. Well,
1: that's
0: interesting I've been seeing, cause I'm a basketball nut and, um, uh, The NBA became very uninteresting, you know, in the sense of this isolation. And, you know, and so women's basketball still played the way you're supposed to play, set a pick, roll, you know, that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean John man, Wooden loved the
2: women's yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. John yeah. Wooden loved it. And you know, I was watching. There's a video floating around that Taylor Twelman was sharing of our women's soccer team um, passing the ball up the field and just perfect triangles, just absolutely what you teach kids in AYSO. It was beautiful to watch. And best... uh, okay, it, to no, I mean when people say like, oh, you know, Arsenal's the best passing team in the world, or this, and I'm like, I don't know. It might be the U.S. women. I mean, they're they're really fantastic at that.
1: The best basketball, hockey. And soccer are played by by women, WNBA and the US national teams.
2: Yeah, I know a lot of people that feel that way. And and I know I you know, I just wrote this story about the Mercury getting there, um, getting a deal with betting, and, and a lot of betters told me their favorite sport to bet is the WNBA.
0: Well, wow. interesting. Yeah. How how do you see betting working into pro sports?
2: Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, obviously I think you were starting to see lines on, you know, the ticker and stuff like that, which right. is not a big deal. I, I worry about things like injuries and I, and I don't want to see this become like what football was in France in the nineties, you know, where it's like, you never knew if you were looking at a le- re- legit result or not, or if the game uh. was being thrown or, you know, and I, I really hope that we don't, get anywhere near that point i worry about information being leaked personal information being leaked for betters um you know injuries things like that um but so far it doesn't seem like it's made that big of an impact outside of uh really instilling a ton of revenue in some teams Mm -hmm. like like teams in the wnba that that really need it
0: so how are salaries in the wnba (laughs)
2: Not great. I mean, we all celebrated the last CBA, but they're still not getting paid anywhere near what they should be getting paid.
1: Well, we saw the graphic last year compared Sue Bird's career to LeBron James career. And they had mm-hmm. you know equal accomplishments and she was making, I think, $230,000. That's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of their money comes from endorsements. Um, You know, I I had someone who studies economics say to me the other day, you know, with a hundred million dollars, the NBA could fix every problem in the WNBA. Right. And, you know, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And that's chump change to them, but they just won't do it.
1: I think the first big step for younger athletes, the name, image and likeness you know, revolution, I think will benefit women athletes, particularly the basketball players who are forced to stay in school for four years, unlike the men who can leave after one. But I think there's a potential for at least again the the forced indentured servitude to be some I mean some of these women's basketball players will make more in college than they will in the, in the WNBA
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because when we looked at monetizing social media channels, um, I think like eight of the top 10 social media channels were run by women athletes. So that was, um, you know, really surprising to see. And it was great to see. And, you know, women like Sedona Prince, who maybe aren't even household names, but have a huge following on social media, she stands to really be able to cash in. And for once, it's nice to see the women at the top of those lists. Yes,
0: yes. Um, so, Julie, you've been great to stay with us. We have about five minutes left. You know, it, it's very illuminating to hear what you have to say. And your book is just great.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's, um, that, that's good to hear. Is there
1: anything else you'd like to plug?
2: Um, check out my podcast with Jane McManus over mm-hmm. at the ladies' room. We've had some great I don't know how we get the guests we get. We've had Sue Bird and <laughs> Megan Rapino and Martina wow. and and wow. Chris Mosier and I mean just yeah, pretty incredible guests. And we've got some good ones coming up.
0: What is, is Rapino like?
2: Exactly like the way she is on TV.
0: Which is very yeah. outspoken.
2: Very outspoken, but very fun, very uh, sort of playful and lighthearted, but definitely uh, knows what she wants to accomplish and is very serious about it. I mean, I'll be honest, we were nervous to talk to Megan. Like, she was the first person we really, I think, were nervous to talk to. Um, she are a little she's nervous great.
0: talking to you. No,
2: nah, come on. Oh, yeah. she, was, she was great. I mean, we we adored her and we had a great conversation.
1: Our, our biggest guest has been Julie DeCaro.
2: Wow. And thank
1: you so very much for joining us, Julie. You've been very generous with your time.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It was fun. All
1: thank right. you. Thank Have you a for day. coming out. All right. We got a couple of minutes left. Thank you very much to Julie DeCaro. That was I again, we thought she was going to be on for 20 minutes. That was amazing that she stayed on our, our humble little show. But go get her book.
0: Sidelined Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. It is it's a really well-written book. You know, it's so important that we give women a chance. Mm. Yeah. Well, in our last four minutes, uh, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about... NBA um, Finals?
1: The NBA, yeah, finals. why not? an actual sport. They're yeah, pretty exactly. much over, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's funny, you know... Everyone's, Phoenix. Everyone's mm-hmm. underestimated Phoenix all year, and they've been clearly the best team. I mean, Utah had finished the season with a better record, but... I think you know Phoenix has been unbeatable, quietly unbeatable all year. And I knew when the, these finals started, whether Antetokounmpo was back or not,
3: that Phoenix was going to win the series. Um, well, think back round one. Phoenix was the underdog against the Lakers, and everyone was the Lakers. You know they're favored, and and we thought the Lakers had had a shot, but <laughs>
0: but not without Anthony Davis.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah but even still, I I, I hope Phoenix. Pulls it off. I don't, I'm not really, but it. I I
0: actually like Milwaukee. And in the second half of this second game, the way uh, onto Kuntupo, onto uh played uh, was really impressive. He was just sort of getting the ball at the key, the foul line, and rolling to the basket. And I don't know why he doesn't do that more. He's unstoppable when he goes down close to the basket, pivots.
1: He gets that shot off all the time. He went through like he scored 15 straight points for the team. I think he's outgrown that team. I think that team has gotten as far as they're going to get with him. I think it might be time for some ridiculously gigantic deal. I mean, I again, I'm not not with my personal bias here, but Antetokounmpo for Lillard at plus something else. We'll see what we can work out here.
0: Um, do you want to talk about the Portland basketball coach?
1: Uh, no, I think we've said enough about we him think. for now. I, I hope he gets fired before the season starts. How's that?
3: I know we we brought it up earlier with with Julie Trevor Bauer. It, um, the the manager though for the Dodgers just came out a few days ago and said he's basically pretty confident that Bauer's not going to play the rest of this year.
1: He should he shouldn't play a pitch ever again in 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 a rec league in you know a 50 and over league.
3: Yeah. So that that was kind of I think that was Thursday that was breaking. Um, but you know the, the leagues are reactive
0: rather than being proactive right, often. Right. And in that's really what they need to be to help yeah. women become participants in management in upper levels. You
1: know, so we've got a minute left. We want to thank our guest Julie DeCaro. We also want to thank our um, ad hoc technician Ed Malachowski, who's been back here spinning knobs and trying to get this echo out of our headphones. Um, if anything sounded weird, it's because we all had a quite substantial echo in our headphones. So if we were talking we could, more slowly than normal, we
3: apologize. And this was our first time, all all of us being in studio. Sometimes. Yeah, that was. This was a fun show for us.
1: Yeah, I had not anything. met Matt until <laughs> t- an hour and a half ago. I was in just going to say the
3: first we've been. We've had this radio show now for almost a year. Yeah, actually, probably over a year. Yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. the first time I get to meet Joe in person. So, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Free, Bri- fr-
1: free Britney Spears.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I- yeah, we can actually save that for next week. And uh, listen to the po- podcast. Okay.